Many physicians associate healthcare innovation with developing new treatments or new ways to use technology. But in other fields, innovators have been focusing not only on generating new ideas, but on inventing rapid ways to test them, an approach that can hold potential for healthcare organizations as well. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with David Ash, Executive Director of the Center for Healthcare Innovation at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Ash has co-authored a perspective article about techniques for testing potentially value-producing ideas in healthcare. Dr. Ash, you mentioned four experimental techniques in your article, vapor tests, fake front ends, fake back ends, and mini pilots. Can you tell us what those are and how they've been applied in the commercial world? Sure. These are four techniques of innovation. And I would say at the outset that one of the things that I've learned about healthcare innovation or about innovation in general is that it's a discipline with techniques to it. And I guess I used to think that innovation was really that the word was just a fad. I didn't like the word since it seems to be overused and so empty. And of course, in healthcare, innovation has been a tradition, frankly. It's not really something new at all. It's fairly conventional because there's such an enterprise funded by NIH or foundations or industry devoted to doing things in new ways and better ways. And so innovation, I thought, was something we'd always been doing. But I think that what is new are these four techniques and some others that businesses have used in recent years to test the demand for their products and services and to make them better. And as you mentioned, things like vapor tests and fake front ends and fake back ends and mini pilots are ways in which discipline can be applied in business or in healthcare. So, I mean, I can go through each of them individually if you'd like. Yes, sure. Yeah. Well, so I think one of the most fascinating ones is the vapor test. And the experience is this. I think anybody who's done any kind of online shopping, a retail website, for example, sometimes you have the experience of selecting an item that you want to buy and then getting an out-of-stock message. This product is no longer available. And it turns out, and I guess I did not realize this until recently, that it's not that the product was out of stock. It's that the product actually never existed in the first place. And it was a vapor test. Sometimes retailers create very believable products, often with computer-generated images, something like a sweater that's of a certain material or a certain color, to see if anybody will actually buy it. And when you click on it to buy it, you're giving that retailer very, very credible information of demand. And it's a very different way of assessing whether the thing you're producing is something that people want than what we usually do. What we usually do is have surveys or focus groups or we brainstorm and we get together and we try to think about what is it that would serve patients well, for example, or what's a good product that a customer might want. But what the vapor test does is move from this sort of wishful thinking of if you build it, they will come to if they come, you should build it. And it reverses the system of thinking about product development by testing demand very, very credibly in the context of someone actually clicking on a purchase. What's a healthcare question that a vapor test might answer? The problem with vapor tests in healthcare is that they're a little bit deceptive. It's a little bit of saying that you have a product that you don't really have. And so it's, it's somewhat more challenging to think about doing that in a healthcare context. But here's an example. So a medical student came to us with the following question. And she asked, we've got patients who come to our emergency department for one thing, but while they're there, they ask if they can have, for example, an intrauterine device implanted for contraception. And we never put those devices in, in the emergency department. Instead, we schedule the patient for a later visit when that might happen. 
So how could we test the demand for whether patients actually would want it done in the emergency department? So one way to test the demand in that setting is to ask something fairly tentative, like, well, I'm not sure we can do that right now for you, but if I could arrange it, is it something you'd like us to do? And it puts that question of demand within context and allows us to get a much better sense of whether that's a service that patients would genuinely want. Going on to some of the other techniques, can you tell us with fake front ends, fake back ends, and so forth, what sorts of questions those might answer too? And what kinds of questions are beyond the scope of this sort of analysis? Well, a fake front end is a technique in which you start with something, often little bits of paper or pieces of string, and try to create a prototype for the product or service that you have in mind. And a great business example is the Palm Pilot, which really in many ways was the first usable, really commercially successful handheld device. And the creator of the Palm Pilot, the actual first version of this was just a piece of wood, a block of wood carved and held in his pocket. And every time he was in a context in which he could use it, he thought to himself, well, this is a function that I should put into this particular device. So the fake front end helps us answer the question of how would a service or a product be used in real life? And so a children's hospital near us had a, did a kind of fake front-end test of a really important clinical problem, which is patients with sickle cell disease who present to the emergency department with a fever, often they get admitted because of concerns about a serious bacterial infection. But there was a sense that many of those admissions were probably unnecessary. And so what this particular hospital did in their emergency department was to ask the physicians to decide whether or not to admit the patient and use their clinical judgment about an admission decision. What was fake about this particular front end was that they still admitted all the patients anyway, just to make sure that the patients were safe. In learning that many of the patients, in fact, all of the patients who had been identified as safe for discharge were in fact safe and didn't have a serious bacterial infection, the hospital learned a tremendous amount about its own care processes. And now, having implemented what previously was fake into something that's a real front end, they've reduced hospitalizations in this context by more than a quarter. What are the obstacles, funding, bureaucratic, that keep healthcare organizations from experimenting with innovations in this sort of way? Probably the biggest obstacle to this kind of innovation is a sense that we already know what's right. And healthcare organizations, like all businesses, are full of smart people who know the business very, very well. And it's very conventional to believe that you can sit around a table and think that you understand the context. So it's often not even recognizing the need that you need to test and experiment. It's such a funny thing to have that also be true in healthcare because certainly in academic health systems, these are populated with, let's say, on the physician side or on the nurse side, people who often have faculty positions. And in one part of their life, they are very used to experimenting. They write out specific aims and they have testable hypotheses. And yet often when they go into the clinical context, it's as if they completely forget that sometimes those hypotheses turn out to be unsupported. And so I think that the biggest barrier to innovation is really thinking that you had the answer right from the start and a kind of unwillingness or blindness, really, to the value that experimentation can provide. Once you've actually accomplished one of these experiments, as you note in your article, your findings, especially if it's a small short-term experiment, may never make it into the medical literature. So how can organizations learn what's happening, disseminate the knowledge that can be gained from these pilot studies? That's a great point. So a lot of these pilots are really what we would call mini-pilots. They're done with five patients, 10 patients, a relatively small number that would never support the kind of tiny little p-values that are required to get a research publication published in the New England Journal of Medicine, for example. And so 
they're at risk of being new knowledge that doesn't get disseminated, and that would be a real problem. I think that a better way to think about these mini-pilots is that they're always preliminary to larger studies that you would do. Very rarely is a mini-pilot that we would pursue within the Innovation Center something where we would stop at the end of that single pilot. Almost certainly that would be a pivot point. It might lead to a larger trial or a more definitive test. And those actually can end up in the medical literature. But I agree, this is a fundamental problem with implementation science more generally, which is that we need to find new outlets so that the knowledge that is generalizable can be generalized so that we can all learn from each other. We have established mechanisms for that with large clinical trials, but we don't have good mechanisms for that from these smaller pilots that can be very, very informative. Beyond Penn, are there other health organizations that have embraced this form of innovation? And if so, has it led to changes in practice? Yeah, it's so interesting that that probably every academic medical center either has an innovation center right now or is thinking about having one. I would say that they vary tremendously in the approaches that they use. Some innovation centers are really focused on tech transfer or commercialization. Some are very much focused on, frankly, developing iPhone apps to improve processes. We have focused very much at Penn on ways in which we can use innovation techniques to improve our existing care processes for our main business, which is taking care of patients. And I think that there are many other centers that are doing things like that as well. The projects that are relevant, some of them are the ones that everyone wants to solve. How do you prevent someone from being readmitted with congestive heart failure after they've been admitted five times in the last year? Every hospital has that problem, and every hospital, one way or another, is trying to work on it. Some of those hospitals are clearly going to be using innovation techniques, but I think that they are probably less commonly used than they ought to be. Finally, what can individual physicians do to encourage rapid testing of new ideas at their own institutions? Where should they start? I'm very optimistic. I actually think that hospitals are full of individuals who are perfectly equipped to do this kind of work, in part because their hospitals are different from other organizations in that often the most educated and passionate people, like doctors and nurses, are right on the front lines where the patients are. That doesn't happen in a lot of corporate America, where the most empowered people are sitting around in a corporate boardroom and are nowhere near the customers. And so I'm very optimistic about healthcare being a great venue for this kind of work. And I think that one of the main things that people can do is to ask a series of sort of why questions. Why do we do it this way? Or maybe even what questions? What would be good about this? What assumptions do I have to test to make sure this works? What has to be true for my idea to actually pay off? And I think these are the kinds of questions that, again, academic clinicians naturally ask when they're doing their scholarly work. And we can also bring those same questions to thinking about clinical care improvements. Thank you, Dr. Ash.